Thanks for joining us for this episode of Coffee with Closers, where business leaders share insights on how to build businesses from the ground up and best practices for innovating in their industry. Hey, Ron, I'm super excited to have you join me for this episode of Coffee with Closers. Hi, Sam. Great, great being here. So you have an interesting entrepreneurial journey, and every entrepreneur has interesting stories of how they became an entrepreneur. I was looking at your LinkedIn and your, how you came about being an entrepreneur. You started in the product world. I'm assuming you were actually more of an engineering, like a tech founder with a coding background. You sold your first venture to Microsoft, and then you went on to becoming a marketing guy, and then now you're running a sales automation platform. So can you share with our audience a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, you, you kind of summarized it. It all started, I, since I remember myself, I went, I think, to be an entrepreneur. I learned programming, I don't know, in third, fourth grade uh, in basic. And my grandfather was a real estate agent and I was sitting in his office and uh, trying to think how could I build software that would automate work that they're doing and building, you know, bringing a computer to his, his office, actually. So I really been trying thinking about different, you know, software entrepreneurship since I was a child and Later on, I joined a, a startup company called Sayota, and after being there for a bit, I said, "Okay, I want to, I want to do it on my own." And yeah, you kind of summarize it. We had a company that got acquired by Microsoft. We were three co-founders, and we got acquired by Microsoft after about three years. And then after Microsoft, I went to another startup, and now this is my third startup. Yeah, so you have a technical background, so you're a technical founder, then you became a marketing guy, right? You were actually doing product marketing, and then you now in the sales arena. So tell us a little bit about how did that transition happen from going from technical product guy to more of a marketing person? Yeah, it's hard to point the exact point in time, but at some point I said, I don't want to be a software engineer, and I want to be a product manager. And then after being a product manager, I was really drawn into the marketing space and the go-to-market. And I've been marketing for enterprise initially, the first company and startup. And then the other startup that I was in is was targeting small businesses, vets, and, and hair salons, etc. So it's a completely different type of marketing. And But I think that the business size in sales and marketing eventually drew my attention and my excitement much more than coding yeah i mean obviously you have to really enjoy programming to stay in that space right and i think as you kind of change your career you have to figure out where you where you find your passion in so what's the biggest lesson you learned as an entrepreneur especially now that you found this new company being humble really and and i really mean it like um you need to know what you don't know. I think we kind of learned it. We were very young entrepreneurs in the first company that we founded. And we we knew that we had to surround ourselves with people who know better than us in every aspect of the business, right? Better product managers, better marketeers, better R&D managers and all that. And that was, you know, when you're humble and you know what you don't know, and you're not afraid of surrounding yourself with people who are better than you at their job then you're eventually becoming successful. And to this day, even though with whatever, 20 years of experience, 12 years of experience in sales and marketing, I still believe in that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, you, you think that as a, you know, think of that as a threat, uh, you know, at certain type, you know, time in your career, but later on in life, you realize how, how important it is to have people who are much smarter than you coming alongside of you to help you get to your next uh, level in life. Exactly, that's what builds success. Yeah. So what kind of mindset, obviously you were, you founded, you know, it's your second um, startup that you've had. And so what kind of mindset you train yourself to have as you're building this new company? 
So I'm going to say something that actually uh, might not be popular and most uh, entrepreneurs are not going to say it. I mean, people are probably going to talk about the passion and the motivation and the commitment and all that. And I'm actually saying that you need to take things in proportion, especially after many years in entrepreneurship. It's, it's a roller coaster. And if you are stressing yourself and stressing, it will also mean you're stressing everyone around you and the company and employees and your partners and your investors and everyone. And you have to keep in mind that, you know, things in proportion and it's not eventually life and death by the minute. And there will be ups and downs and highs and lows. Um, and I think that's the mindset you need to be in. Otherwise, you might be successful, but without it, but you're going <laughs> to kill yourself doing that. Yeah. Well, certainly. And obviously, as, as an entrepreneur, right, you naturally have to move into a leadership role at some point. And you talked about how you need to bring the people who are much smarter than you. But in the early days, you know, you're kind of as the product guy, you're the visionary guy, you're the leader, you're also the manager, you have to worry about the investor relationship, you're in sales and marketing, all of those things. So talk to me a little bit about how you transition, how you transition from the startup founder to now more of a leader and how, what mode do you typically operate in? I think you never completely transition. <laughs> I think good entrepreneurs will always stay in between. So of course, in the early days, you know, you, you're the sales and the marketing. I, I'm also the, the SDR, right? And to mm -hmm. this day, I mean, I sometimes, sometimes joke with my sales reps, you know, when I transfer <laughs> an opportunity for them and say, what a great SDR I've been, you know, finding this opportunity for you and bringing it to, to you. You need to be able to have one discussion in the morning that is very high level with your executive team about where do we go for the next year or two. And 30 minutes later, you will need to be able to dive into Salesforce and talk about the specific fields or dive into a specific project and become like a project manager that is splitting action items between the team. If you lose this agility, then I think you're losing yourself as an entrepreneur. Obviously, when you're growing, when you're like a, in the 500,000 people company, that, that, that changes. But, you know, I would say up to the 100 employees or so, you still have, you still have this constant uh, back and forth. Yeah. And I think it also comes down to the kind of the nature of the person too, right? Like some people are in the weeds and they, they have the skill to do that. And some people are big picture and they may not have the, the know-how to navigate Salesforce and go find, you know, Hey, why is this field not populated correctly? Or why is this deal stage not automatically moved or whatever, right? Like that, that also kind of impacts it, what it, role you it's play. It's true. Yeah. It, it really depends on, on the personality. hundred percent agree. So as a leader, right, as a leader, as a founder, you have to have big vision as where the company needs to be five years, 10 years down the road. You have to sell that vision to your investors. You have to sell that vision to your employees, right, and your future team members. You kind of have to have a vision, but then you also have to make this vision a reality. So what are some practical things that you're doing to make your vision a reality from a leadership standpoint? In one word, I would say simplicity. I think, again, I'm a software engineer originally. I tend to complicate everything and uh, to, to have diagrams and multiple aspects and multiple dimension. And I think when you have a certain vision, when you're in that and you came with the idea or you and, you know, my, my co-founder and I, or my co-founder Rotom and I came with an idea, et cetera. I, he always tell me like, Iran, you have to remember that you've been doing this for three years and now when you're talking to a new investor, a new employee, or even someone in your team that's been here for six months, they don't have that. They don't have the, the history of your vision and how it evolved. You lived through this and they didn't. And I think, you know, simplifying it into very crisp vision and actually breaking down the vision into, okay, it, we can talk about one sentence, where do we go at, at uh, 30,000 feet? But then, you know, 
what is the vision for the next year? What are we trying to, what is the current, not the go to market for five years when we IPO, but like, what is the go to market now? And what is the approach you have to really bring it down to earth with your team, with your partners, with your investors? Otherwise, again, you can't, you can't make it happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're right on point about that because oftentimes, you know, like you said, software engineers, you would think software engineers are good at simplifying things. It's like you, like you said, they tend to complicate things. And I think we as leaders, oftentimes, like the big visionaries, right? We have big pictures, and sometimes we're not able, you know, that their our team members may not be able to comprehend that big vision. But you have to make it. How does this apply in our world today? And what can what steps can we take toward our initial? vision that we have for our company right and then not necessarily get them stuck in the big vision and they don't know how to actually um achieve that obviously as you're building a company right you're you talked about having surround yourself with very smart people that also means building a company culture so what are some practical steps that you've taken at your organization to build a type of a high performance culture uh, for your your company again every entrepreneur has has its own you know key values i i would say it's mostly about transparency and being able to give and take feedback, like yeah. being transparent about what we do and say what you do and do what you say kind of a thing and, and, and at all levels and also really being brutally honest in terms of how, you know, you give feedback to others and it's not about ego and it's not about uh, someone being afraid to lose their job. If we're brutally honest, when we just talk about the problems and learn from the mistakes, this is how we grow and this is how we succeed. And also being able to take feedback when someone is coming to me or to anyone else in the organization telling them, this is wrong. I think differently. This is why we can, how we could do better. And again, not taking it personally and being open to that. And it doesn't matter that, you know, whoever in the company is coming to me as the CEO and saying that, I think that's how we grow and that's how we succeed. And when you, it's easy to do in like 10 people, 20 people. Now we're, you know, more than 50 and we'll keep on growing. Now it's the challenge of maintaining this culture. But I think, again, it's it's critical factor in the success of companies like ours. Yeah, most certainly. And I think the transparency is it's very easy to just talk about it, but it's very hard to practice as an organization, right? Like, you know, how much of the information that we have today are we going to disclose? You know, we've talked about, especially as you're growing big vision, maybe not all of the things about the vision you may not want to talk about, right? Like, you don't know how much of that is going to be a reality three years from now or five years from now or whatnot. So I think in surface seems very simple, but it's actually very hard and practical how much to disclose. True. Although again, I, I found that, you know, almost anytime you think of I'll hide, I'm not going to share everything openly. Every time you do that, eventually you, re you regret. There are very, very, very few things that you shouldn't be, you know, that you shouldn't be sharing, you know, if they're personal matter of specific people, but anything else in the company, in the strategy, and everything should be as, as open and transparent as possible. Mm -hmm. In my, in my you, mind, at least. Yeah. And I've heard of companies that are actually even doing about their revenue, revenue targets and current mm -hmm. revenue, all of those things. Do you practice that sort of a model? At, Internally? At, at mm -hmm. Absolutely. Everyone knows everything from every mm -hmm. deal, every opportunity, every target, every goal, everything. Mm -hmm. Some companies do it publicly as well, but that has its issues around, you know, the mm -hmm. market and competitors and investors, et cetera. But yeah, internally, mm -hmm. all open. That's good to know. So obviously, you've had your career started in a tech startup, and then you, you went on to become a product guy or a marketing guy. And now you're running a sales technology platform company. So you have seen 
some changes in the industry and how people do sales and marketing. How has your approach on sales and marketing evolved over the years? Oh, wow, it's, it's constantly evolving. Uh, and it's also obviously different. It's different. I've sort of been in enterprise sales and I've been in, you know, uh, small business sales and, and it's really, really different. I think we've seen, and that's part of why Rybound exists, right? I mean, we've seen this transition of more and more parts of the process that people are open to automate in a way. And processes, I think the biggest shift that I've seen is really shifting sales from uh, sales, uh, shifting to science, making sales a real science and sales, sales professionals are not just being led by their gut feeling, but the actual by numbers and performance and conversions and all those things that, you know, marketing kind of done for years and sales. I think I've seen this change, I would say most in the last five to plus years or so. And there's tools around it, you know, all the tools that are trying to standardize things, all the outreach and the sales soft and all those tools that are out there that are trying to make like project management and day-to-day -day management into this and having consistency across different sellers in the organization and having visibility to the managers of exactly what each of them is doing and how they're performing and how, you know, being able to predict better all the tools that are helping you predict and predict your funnel and predict your quarter. So I think that's the biggest change that I've seen. And now again, we're, we're seeing, and that's part of our vision, not, you know, going to try and, and talk and try to sell what we do. But as a high level vision, I think the market is going to go also a bit following what happened in marketing more into automation, automation around things that humans are not as good as machines. And, you know, I think marketeers already kind of admit that, that, you know, the Google, Facebook, LinkedIn algorithms are better than them at some aspects, not at creativity, but in terms of optimization. And mm -hmm. I think we'll see the same thing or we're seeing the same thing happening in sales. That mm -hmm. sales leader would accept the fact that there are areas that the optimization and the work that's being done by technology is going, not only going to save them time, but it's going to be better than what they're capable of doing. And that's, again, part of our vision. And I think it's something that people are starting to realize. Yeah, and then the people who don't know about Rightbound, I mean, you have you're an AI-based uh, sales enablement platform, right? You want to explain a little bit about what that even means for someone who's actually thinking about improving their sales process or making their sales team more efficient? Yeah, uh, really briefly, and then you know, they don't want to steal this in the interview, but like we're building autonomous prospecting engine. That means again, and it's autonomous, not automated, meaning that we're actually making decisions on behalf of the sales rep when it comes to their outbound sales, when it comes to finding accounts, when it comes to finding the relevant contacts, when it comes to deciding who they're going to go after today or tomorrow or next month and who they're going to deprioritize in terms of which steps in their outreach the best. Should they email? Should they connect on LinkedIn? Should they send a gift? Should they, should they send a survey? Whatever it is that they're making those decisions, we are making autonomous decisions or the, on their behalf. And this is why I mentioned it's such a big change in terms of the mindset that, okay, we're going to let a machine actually make decisions, not only recommend, not only surface insights and give, provide us data, but actually take decisions on our behalf. And we're going to trust that machine in some places to do this decision, to make those decision optimization better than us. This is what we do, and this is what is really giving our customer, you know, an edge, an edge in their performance because they're now shift this and they can have, you know, their, their sales rep really focused on where they shine, which is, you know, being on the phone with customers, convincing them, selling them, qualifying them, things that machines can do. 
but they're not wasting their time in things like you know research, finding the contacts, finding the accounts, uh, trying to think what's the best path and what's the best time to reach out to that prospect, because these are things that our machine could do better for them. Mm-hmm. And what size of an organization is when you're sh- we should be starting to think about, hey, I need to bring in AI, I need to bring in some sort of automation. Anyone with, uh, anyone with product market fit in a sales org <laughs> could start benefiting that. We have a very early stage companies and all the way up to uh, large public companies that, that we sell to. It's, it's a yeah. very broad market that it applies to. The reason I ask is that you see organizations, especially companies in the industrial and manufacturing sector, some, some haven't even adapted CRM system, let alone thinking about AI and automation and sequencing and all of those things, right? So like, what advice do you have for those sales leaders and those business leaders uh, in terms of how they should be perceiving technology? And what advice would you give them, especially when they're resistant to change with the, with the industry and the technologies evolving so rapidly? Look, I mean, early adopters and, and late adopters, right? I mean, you know, again, I, I'm second time I'm quoting my co-founder today. He's always saying that, you know, uh, the cloud tr- transformation didn't happen with, you know, a huge organization, right? It started with smaller companies that, you know, didn't mind moving their servers into the cloud. You always have, you know, companies that, as you said, don't necessarily even have CRM or other technologies. Uh, I mean, the approach that today in, you know, in 2022 and forget right bound, there's so many things that you can use technology and technology is eventually not expensive compared to human resources in most mm-hmm. cases. And when specifically internally, you know, if we could purchase a BI solution, purchase an, a quota management solution, purchase anything, contract management solution, anything that could help us be more effective and look better with our customers, we do. And the cost is re- is usually is insignificant compared to the value that you're getting from that. I don't think people are scared of of AI and optimization, et cetera, et cetera, because it's a complicated solution. But I don't think there's a time that's too early to adopt AI-based uh, solutions. I mean, you should consider that even if you're earlier on. If you have your CRM and you have, you have sales process in place, look into solutions that could fit your team. Maybe not all solution would fit it, but could improve the performance of your team early on. I don't think you should wait and say, okay, let me wait until I have 10 people in the midst of the team and only then I consider solutions because you probably lost a lot of efficiency and a lot of you know results that you could have had if you just adopted tools uh, sooner. Now the change management when you're 10 or 20 people is much more difficult to make changes in the process. But again, that's my two cents on that. I know that a lot of other people have a different opinion on that. Yeah. And I think you, you, you made a right point because oftentimes what happens is like your team kind of already you know, become accustomed to a certain process or procedure. And now you are introducing them to a technology much later and they don't want to change, right? They are now exactly. so fixated on, oh, this is what we used to do and we don't want to do it this way. And all of a sudden you have a lot of pushback and, uh, and then the adoption drops and then Ultimately, that becomes like a wasted investment, and then they tend to churn. There's all that other <laughs> other issue that comes into play. Um, so I think you made a great point in terms of like the 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 value of you know adapting a technology and making you more efficient. And oftentimes, you're waiting around to do that. You've lost time, and then time is more money than anything. Exactly for for most yep. cases. So, what are some of the things you're doing as an organization to be more efficient and and uh, from an optimization and process and system standpoint? So again, as I, as I said, I think, you know, the biggest thing we lack is time and people. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to find great people and it's hard to, to and we're in a, in a race 
to grow and to scale and to bring our, our promise to the market. And really, I mean, we, you know, people telling me, you know, the kind of solution that we adopt around marketing automation, around, you know, a, a solution that we have for ourselves, not our, not just our own technology, of course, but other sales solutions that we adopted for HR, we adopted, you know, we're hiring now. So we adopted a solution for recruiting and for hiring and for interviews. Again, almost anything, as I said, that any system that, that you can find in any department, we're open and we're encouraging everyone in our team to, this is not the place to save. This is the place to spend. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, as a leader, right, as a founder, you have a lot of decision to make. You probably also have to empower others to make decisions. So are there any framework that you follow in terms of making critical decisions? Actually, we're looking into this right now. I think the change from, uh, you know, the 20 to 50 that happened over a few months really is forcing us to rethink how we're making decisions because all of a sudden there's more people involved in this, each decision, but not everyone should be in each in each discussion, not everyone is a decision maker and not everyone is, you know, some just need to be aware of the decision being made and some need to be part of the process. And then there was all of a sudden multiple people who could lead this and you need to choose one person to actually lead this. Otherwise, it would just fall between the cracks. So there's so many changes that are actually happening. To be honest, we're still figuring out what's our best path. And I think it's different between different companies. Each company find their own path. I don't think there's one right way to do it. I will say one, one thing is, is that I've learned throughout the years. I mean, the worst thing is not to make a decision, right? I mean, sometimes people are overthinking, overanalyzing, building process over process and talking, you know, another meeting about the process to make a decision for the process. So, and that leads to circular, circular meetings and eventually to, to stagnation. And that's the worst. I think it's better, especially in startups and in fast growing companies, it's better to make a decision and move forward and run than you know, losing three months. That's the worst that could happen. So uh, that's, I think, the one generic statement that I would say. Yeah. And I think the reason why, is, you know, especially startup companies succeed and grow very rapidly is their ability to make quick decisions and change on the dime, right? Whereas enterprises, you have, uh, you know, a hierarchy of decision makers that you got to get approval from. And by the time they make a decision six months into a year, and now you lost momentum, Meanwhile, a startup has already evolved and improved their product and came to market with a solution. So that, that is definitely true. I think the decision fatigue as well, just talking about it makes you more tired than actually just taking a decision and moving with it. Yeah, and it's removing all the motivation from people, you know, who start a project extremely excited, but if they now go through six months of discussion, they lost all, <laughs> all their appetite to do that. So obviously, as a founder, CEO, one thing you don't have enough of is time. So you have to find creative ways of being more productive. Are there any any hacks or uh, productivity uh, solutions that you have to, to stay abreast and get things done quickly? So I'll actually say something that is counterintuitive, I think. One of the things that I adopted in the last, I think, four years or so is actually not postponing. Like people say, okay, I'm going to, I'm getting this and this and this, and they add things add up to their stack and, you know, postponing and scheduling and planning and move this to lower priority, et cetera. A mentality of get things done. Like if you get us something and it's not necessarily super urgent, but you know, you need to do it and it takes you a minute or three minutes or five minutes to do it. Just get it off your table. I mean, I've seen a few, I've learned from, uh, I'm not going to mention name, but a few other CEOs that I've seen extremely busy CEOs of 500 employee companies and their response time and their ability to go through things is amazing. And it's just this concept of, of doing things and not just postponing. Like sometimes the, 
again, the over planning that you do for yourself is basically taking more time than just doing things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just executing things for sure. And the last question that I have is obviously knowing what you know today, what advice would you give your younger self? Delegate more. When I was younger, I went far too much into the weeds and detail. I still do, but I think I've learned that you have to delegate. You have to let other people do that. And you have to like stop going into the nitty gritty in many, many cases. If I knew that 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I would have done a lot of things better. But I think the problem is that we're all kind of perfectionist a little bit, right? So we, we think that unless we do it, it's not going to be perfect. So we tend to try to do it ourselves and then but, just afraid of afraid of delegating but then we're ruining it for everyone because we're ruining for the person that's supposed to be responsible for that and we're ruining it for ourselves as a company because we're not going to be able to scale and build things uh if everything eventually comes you know to me or to one you know one of the executives so well certainly well ron i certainly appreciate your time and thank you for sharing your wisdom with our audience thank you very much for having me doing pleasure this episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS, a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.